It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Captain's Run. That's not Kane Corns, it's Sam Edmund with you this morning. Uh, just from my point of view, long-time listener, first-time host of the Captain's Run, but a pleasure to be in the chair. I hope you're going well on a Friday. Oh, we're just about there, aren't we? Friday, last day of the week. Is it just me or has this week sort of had a bit of meat on the bone? Hope you're going well, though. Hope you're fit and firing out there. Another sunny day, at least in my part of the world here at um, the Sports Entertainment Network here, headquarters, nice and sunny in Melbourne. Hope you've got a great weekend plan and hope you've navigated the week smoothly. Next week is a big week. Speaking of weeks, when it comes to the next drop uh, crop of AFL hopefuls, it's huge. And next Wednesday, 7 p.m., the National Draft takes place and lives will change right across the country. And then the preseason and rookie drafts are on the next day. The recruiters, though, from my mind, have just got too good at their job. The list management departments of clubs are now so well-resourced and its importance is so glaringly obvious that we have been seeing less and less of the draft steals. I'm talking the really big ones. A bit like I imagined at the end of the gold rush. You'd find a whopping rock early on, wouldn't you? And now you're late to the riverbed. You're panning for flecks of gold. But what happens next week, given we have now a fair stretch of that river, the talent river that runs to the AFL Ocean, if you like, that hasn't been discovered yet, or at least hasn't been discovered for some time. With COVID-19 meaning no football in Victoria this year, where the majority of draftees historically come from, are we about to see a draft crop of steals? Kids who we will look back on in years to come and shake our heads in amazement over how they went so late in the draft. That was the 2020 National Draft. Now, only 50 or 60 players could be drafted next Wednesday night, which would be the lowest ever. That hurts our bargain claim. Of course, the kids have been playing far more footy in WA and South Australia and the like. They've been playing. Most experts will tell you that, in fact, the first round is okay. They are players regardless of the state they hail from, who have been on the radar since they were 15 or 16 years of age. But what about after that? What about the second, third, fourth rounds? You know, what about the bolters that we won't see this year, the Clayton Olivers of the world that come late to the party in their final year of under-18 football? Could we see some ridiculous bargains? As I say, they've slowly faded from view in recent times. They're still there, but the professionalism of the industry, the recruiting space, the talent ID means, generally speaking, it's getting rarer to see these real steals. Perhaps this year will be something of a throwback. Are we are we about to go back in time a decade or more? People obviously reference James Hurd, pick 79 and 1990. Not a bad bargain, that one. Brownlow, five All-Australians, five best and fairest. Norm Smith, two flags, Hall of Fame. But more recently, just talking national drafts here, rookies of their own kettle of fish, you've got Adam Goods, 43 and 1997. Robbie Gray, 55 in 2006. Lockie Neal, 58 in 2011. Harris Andrews, who 
to a large degree, he's got it all ahead of him still, but pick 61 in 2014. Cade Simpson just retired, pick 45. Dane Swan was a 58. Luke Parker was a 40. So you get where I'm going. We're talking bargains this morning, if you like. Biggest bargain you've ever seen in the football space, your team, who's provided you with the most bang for buck? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 I know we talk about these often, but with the draft upon us now, I wouldn't mind a trip down memory lane here. A bit of a nostalgia morning, if you like. one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the captain's run and the temper text as well, 0433981116. And just speaking more broadly, football aside, the biggest bargain you've ever got where you thought that's an absolute steal and you almost felt bad for doing it. The exchange where you've just ripped someone massively or discovered in hindsight that maybe that you've copped the rough end of the stick. Let's talk bargains today. It reminds me of that famous scene in the castle. I think Johnny Tam's got it back there somewhere. Johnny, remind me of that famous scene in the castle. We're talking bargains this morning on the captain's run. Dad, 4.50. But jousting sticks, tell him he's dreaming. How much is a jousting stick worth, Dad? Well, it couldn't be more than 2.50. Depending on the condition. Depending on the condition. Well, depending on the condition at the draft this year of any certain play, you could get an absolute bargain. Jousting sticks for 2.50, maybe. Mel's in Malvern. What are you thinking here, Mel? Welcome to the captain's run. Hi, Dad. Oh, listen, look, this guy... He's not even a bargain. He's like, we got him for nothing. Like, it was like a Brody Meyer check. Oh, indeed. Hasn't he been worth everything and more? And I'm just glad, Mel, that he ended up getting that contract in the end. They they took a bit of time getting to it, but uh, I just hope he's getting remunerated to something close to his value. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 100% every week, you know, it's just, but, you know, I still think there's probably 10 or 15 of those guys out there that can, that can cross the line. They've got football smarts. They've got brains. You know what I mean? They know how to play football. Yep. Yeah, no, good call, Mal. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking part in the captain's run. Plenty of your calls coming through. I like this cheeky text off the temper, though. Dustin Martin at three. Absolute steal. <laughs> Frank is in one turn up. Frank, you got a, a bargain buy for us come the uh, national draft. Oh, this one has to be the, the biggest bargain of all. I think this guy was an absolute out-and-out champion, James Hurd. Oh, well, we mentioned, yes. Of course, of course, Frank. We mentioned him off the top. What was he, 79? Yeah, something like that. It was unbelievable. And and he turned and the player he turned out to be, it was just uh, mind-blowing, you know, um, you know where, where he came in. It was just, uh, you shake your head in disbelief, really, that someone didn't pick him up at, at a lower lower level, you know. No, it's a good call. His old man played for Essendon, but not many, Alan. I reckon he only played four games. So it wasn't like he was a, you know, a, an out-and-out certainty to, to in the father-son space, if you like. He was very much a speculative pick, 79 and 90 and, and as I said earlier, the resume is frankly ridiculous. So appreciate your call, Frank. Good nomination from you. We're talking bargains this morning. Just with the lack of sight on the talent in Victoria when it comes to the national draft this year and the kids not being able to play, are we going to get a bit of a throwback come next Wednesday night? And we're going to look at it in years to come and go, I cannot believe that guy went in at pick 56, for example. And let's extrapolate, shall we? Bargains, more broadly speaking, whenever you just know that you've got away with one, regardless of what you are 
buying. Charlie's in Gardenvale. Welcome to the captain's run, Charlie. Hello, boys. I've got some. I've got about five bargains here that weren't. They weren't even picked up. They're rookies. Dylan Grimes, Liam Baker, Nathan Broad, Kane Lambert, Van Soldo, Jaden Short, Marlon Pickett, and uh, just to uh, just to look at the cherry on top, we. Uh, um, traded to Ty Vickery to Hawthorne. We got pick 29. We pick up Shea Bolton. Snap. <laughs> Done. I just love the arrogance in Richmond supporters at the moment. It's an arrogance that only that sort of success can bring out in people. Uh, and that might grate a lot of you the wrong way, but I love it. To be honest, I'd separated the rookies because they are a whole other conversation in their own. And a lot of your nominations coming through on rookie picks. Um, that are ridiculous, to be honest, some of the rookie steals over the years. What about this one off the temper text? Chris Grant, pick 105. We don't even get a pick 105 anymore. And then the dogs turn around or Footscray in the day and get Chris Grant, if you don't mind, a pick 105. That's going to take some beating. Leon from Perth. Luke Ryan was pick 66. He's been a great player for the Dockers, hasn't he? Lockie Neal, I had it, pick 58. Aaron Sandlands, he was. The rookie list of all being good for Frio. Jason's in Carnegie. How are you doing this morning, Jace? G'day, mate. I, I think I might, my thunder's been stolen with, uh, I was going to say, the half a dozen rookie listed players that made it into the Premiership team that couldn't get picked up in the draft. It was unbelievable. Yep. But um, given that's been done, um, Jack Graham, he was a pick, and think, in the third rounder. Uh, and then he kicked three goals in, in the grand final in his third game or something. So. Yep. Uh, he's been he's been pretty good value. He's been excellent value, Jason. That is a, a good nomination. He thought for a fleeting moment about a move during uh, this coming off season, but in the end, he recommitted to the Richmond Footy Club. He was actually taken at pick fifty three, if you don't mind, Jace, in the twenty sixteen national draft, and he's broken into a very very good side there, and he's a regular uh, player in that midfield mix now for Damien Harwick. Good nomination from you, Jace. Michael's in Caroline Springs. How you doing, Mick? And how are you? I um. I think that in time, people will realise what a great pick at 61 Tom Williamson was at Carlton. Yeah, you got a bit of faith in, in Tom on the back flank there? Yeah, if he hadn't have been injured, I think he's a 100-game player now and, and I think he gets picked every week in Carlton's best 22 at the moment, even with the new inclusion. So, at pick 61, that's a great outcome. Good on you, Mick. Appreciate your call this morning. We're talking uh, draft bargains and bargains more broadly. If you've got one outside the footy space, I'd love to hear from you on this front. If you've uh, just got away with, with an absolute steal, whether the old days like the castle back on the old trading post or whether it be eBay or maybe even snagging a house on the cheap. Pete's in North Bourne. How you doing, Pete? Good, Sam. I'm going to uh, continue the premiership arrogance hour and uh, <laughs> we've certainly been on the back end of some dud deals. So... Uh... The Sean Griggs for Andrew Collins trade to Carlton and a few irrelevant uh, pick swaps that went with that. So we ended up with the forever known Premiership Ruckman. Yes. Well, who would have thought when that trade went down, I reckon, Pete, um, it was hard to know who had won it. Both had had their issues. Sean Griggs had played more football, of course, but I reckon the other guy had potentially a lot more upside. It didn't work out for him, did it? And then, as you say, Shawnee Griggs gone from um, sort of battling midfielder to premiership ruckman, if you don't mind. Yeah, I was a bit dirty we got rid of Andrew Collins, but he only played the one game for Carlton, just couldn't get it on the field. No, nah, he couldn't. He couldn't get his body right. He was slight, wasn't he? And he just couldn't add the weight and just didn't quite have the, I guess, the the grunt required to make it, Pete. And that set up Sean Griggs' whole career. Now he's gone off to Geelong and working in the footy department down there as well and has a long-term future in the game. Uh, where are we going next there, uh, Johnny? We're going to Justin in Wandon. How you going, Justin? 
Van Eye, mate, I got two. Lee Brown was like pick five in the draft of Fremantle, and we got him in the 70s to Collingwood in 2008. Yeah. Um, but that whole Collingwood Premiership team in 2010, we had seven rookie list players in that team. That is amazing, isn't it, when you think about it? The rookie list is a whole other topic of conversation, Justin, isn't it? It has been... It... It has been mined over the years and unearthed some absolute gems, hasn't it? And if you if you can navigate your way around that, you can get an absolute steal in a, in a competition that's all about equality and equalisation and salary caps and the, and the draft pick and the order of events there. If you can plot your way through the rookie draft, history shows, and Richmond are the living example at the moment, that you can get a real leg up on the competition. Good on you. Maney's come in on Twitter when we're talking bargains. I bought an Engel, is it Engel? Hey, pronounce it. Engel fridge off eBay for 300 bucks because I can't spell and typed in Engel, E-N-G-L-E. Lucky for me, neither could the seller, and I was the only person who placed a bid. I sold it five years later for 750 bucks. If anyone can educate me on that type of refrigerator, I'll be happy to hear it. Um, we did uh, go down memory lane with the castle earlier, and the jousting sticks does bring back memories, doesn't it? Um, Andy's on the road. How you doing, Andy? Hey, good, Sam. How you going? Going well, thanks. What do you got for us? Um, so before before I give you a few of the uh, the Brisbane Lions over the uh, over the years, we've lost a few, but we've uh, we've got a few. Yeah, Richmond in the last few premiers, they're doing this. You play Supercoach, don't you? Uh, well, I did. I, I didn't this year. No, I just thought it would be <laughs> basically impossible with games every night. Yeah, same, 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 same. I, I had the year off, but it's it's uh, the premierships won by premiums and rookies, and that's what Richmond's done. So, yeah, but I'll go to my uh, my Brisbane Lions. So their last two captains, uh, one they got uh, preseason draft. I think it was uh, Tom Rockcliffe. He might have gone like pick five or, or twenty five in the preseason draft. That's right. And um, and current ones, Zorko. Uh, I think it was like a after he missed three or four complete drafts, um, Gold Coast didn't want him for their zone, so we got him, I think it was a, like a pick swap of um, seven draft picks in the second or third round. So that's you can't, that's, that's pretty good value. Absolutely. Good on you, Andy. Appreciate your call on the road. Some of the texts coming through. Dean Kemp was pick 117, 117 for the Eagles. Good on you, Steve. What about the NFL? Tom Brady. Pick 199 for the New England Patriots, if you don't mind. Absolute steal. Bought a Jordan signed jersey five years ago, 3000 bucks. Now, because of the last dance, it's worth 18000 What a bargain. 18000 I suppose it would be up there, a signed Michael Jordan jersey. Um, 18000 though. Gee, that's a lot. Man United buying Eric Cantona from Leeds for $1 million. Absolutely. And what about cricket? Nathan Lyon to the Redbacks from a curator at the Adelaide Oval. Brad from Kingscote. Brad, that's not bad. The curator, bit of James Podsiadley about that, isn't it, for Nathan Lyon? Good on you. And Corey Enright coming through loud and clear. Multiple Geelong uh, best and fairest winner. What did he go at? Pick 49, I reckon he went at Corey Enright in the end. Uh, Wayne Carey getting thrown in as the steak knives when North Melbourne bought Johnny Longmire off the Swans. That's true as well. That needs some exploring this morning. Dave's on the Gold Coast. You got a bargain there for us, Davey? Good morning, Sammy. Uh, not so much a bargain, but um, I get the arrogance of Richmond supporters at the moment. But if you are going to try and compare Graham and Solvo and all those young guys with Swanee and Heard, Brownlow medalists, 
all of those young Richmond players combined Brownlow votes wouldn't equate to half herd or half swan. I get they might be bargain players, but you cannot put them in the same league mm. as Dane Swan or guys like James Heard have won at Brownlow. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, good on you, Dave. No, I think we have a bit of fun with the Richmond supporters and uh, we'd all be the same, wouldn't we? Three flags, four years. You're entitled to a little bit of arrogance, even if it does rub us up the wrong way from time to time. I asked about that Engel fridge. Uh, Sam, a brand new Engel 40-litre fridge is probably worth about 1400 Old mate has got a bargain there. Fantastic. A bit tongue-in-cheek. Paddy Cripps at pick 13. Absolute steal. Best player in that draft by the length of the Flemington straight. Biggest steals in sport. What about this one? Cam Smith, Billy Slater, Cooper Cronk. All were from Brisbane under the nose of the Broncos for years. Keep your nominations coming. We're off and running here on the captain's run. Michael, you're on the road. Sit tight. We'll get to you on the other side of our first break right off the back of that. I absolutely promise. You're listening to the Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Give us a call anytime, one 736 736 The temper text is 0433981116. Scooting along magnificently. Captain's Run coming to you all thanks to temper, of course, a mattress like no other. We'll be back to talk more bargains and outline a huge show still to come on the other side of this. Ergonomic chairs, four of them. What do you want? 180. He's dreaming. Dad? Some guy's selling an overhead projector. Nah. Now hang on, Steve. What's he asking? 150. Tell him he's dreaming. Yeah. Dad, what's a pulpit? Where the minister gives his sermon from. How much? 800. Dreaming. <laughs> I've been giggling all that break here on the captain's run. Very much a fun Friday here at the Sports Entertainment Network. Good morning, Sam Edmund here with you right up until midday. Have a bit of fun with us, will you? We're talking bargains. Inspired by a national draft, we, or at least I, I reckon half hope we're going to get some absolute steals in. And no, it hasn't been ideal the kids haven't been playing in Victoria, but does that mean there might be a bit of Marco Polo going on with the recruiters out there fumbling around in the dark late on in the draft with their picks? I hope so. And I hope we get some absolute bargains and some great stories in the years to come. I like this one before we get to Mick on the road off the temper text. I went to gold class on a date, racked up a $150 tab and they lost our bill. Turned it into a thousand bucks on the tables at Crown. Eh, well, I won't read the last bit, but he's not ended pretty well. Thanks for your text. Uh, Mickey's on the road. How you doing, Mick? Good. Yourself, Sam? Going well, thanks. What do you got on your mind? Yeah, just stepping a little bit away from the AFL and uh, Tom Brady, I think, was picked 199 back in 1990 for the Patriots. Round six. Yep. Yeah, he's had a somewhat of a good career. <laughs> yes. How does he go at 199, Michael? There must have been a couple of reasons there. Yeah, I'm not sure what the backstory is, and if any of you calls know what the story is, it'd be uh, interesting to know. But, yeah, uh, obviously a different draft system over there, but pick 199, you'd be pretty happy with what you got out of that. <laughs> I reckon you'd be pretty happy, Mick. Good nomination from you. That did come through earlier on the text. Tom Brady, anyone can quickly educate us in that space how he could possibly have gone at pick 199. Um, let us know. Stu's in Harnoff, lovely part of the world outside Adelaide. How are you going there, Stu? Good, Sammy. How are you, mate? Going well. be lovely over there, wouldn't it, in Harndorf today? There is not a cloud in the sky, mate. I'm about to uh, roll down the main street and, and pick myself up a pass here, I reckon. Oh, breathtaking. What do you got for us? Mate, I'm going to throw Benny Rutten at you. Crows, rookie-listed player, turned into all-Australian fullback, 
Premiership assistant coach at Richmond and now head time full coach at Essendon in his own right. Great yep. player. One of the original Crowbots, wasn't he, Stu, under Neil Craig? He was, mate. Uh, 2005-06, uh, sort of a kick or two away in each of those games. Uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that back. Good on you, Stu. Appreciate your call. Um, great to have your company. The Castle Sammy Top Shelf. Thanks for the morning laugh. Cheers, Oscar from Adelaide. Oscar, any excuse to uh, to go back to it uh, is worth going going for, I reckon. What about this one? Uh, I thought I'd get in early. This is off the temper text. I thought I'd get in early for some Pokemon card boxes for my son's birthday in December. I bought two of them for three hundred and fifty bucks in July. I had a look at the prices for the same box. Um, now found out they're 800 bucks to 1200 bucks per box. And I've just been educated in this space by Benny Lyon during the ad break. Apparently a couple of famous uh, YouTubers, if you like, uh, decided to go back and or well, they discovered that you can still get some of the unopened Pokemon boxes from how long ago? Years and years and years ago anyway. And they've turned it into a thing and it has become a big thing on off the back of that. YouTubing is an absolute phenomenon. If you've got uh, young kids, you know all about it. And it's been re-energised, if you like, in that space. And now they're going gangbusters. So you got in early there in December and you're sitting on a, a little bit of a gold mine there. What about this one, Dave in Gladstone Park? Hey, Sammy, 10 years ago, I sold two Ford XY GT replicas for 10000 bucks and 12000 bucks each. Today, they're worth upwards of $75,000 each. Please excuse me while I tighten my straitjacket. Good on you, Dave. Appreciate your text. Winks cost two hundred and thirty thousand and earned twenty two point nine million. Not cheap, but a bargain. That's from Scott. Scott, I reckon if uh, you knew you were going to win nearly twenty three million bucks, all of us would somehow scramble two hundred and thirty thousand together if we could, wouldn't you? You'd mortgage everything, sell everything, and make it happen. Sam Mitchell's come through loud and clear. Pick 36, most decorated player, premiership captain four times, best and fairest, Brownlows, All-Australian Rising Star. Well, not only was Sam Mitchell pick 36, it, he was actually overlooked completely the year before that, wasn't he? Went back to Box Hill, um, did his time at Box Hill, then got his chance and then more than made up for his chance, didn't he? He had a, a work ethic that was surpassed by very, very few in the game. The Sydney Swans knew about James Hurd, was in their zone. They chose not to pick him up along with Carey and Longmire. That one's from Rusty in Brunswick. What about this one from Benny? Just found out an old Pantera T-shirt, the sort of thing your wife might ridicule you for holding on to, is worth nearly 400 bucks. Wow. Paul Meldrum walked into Carlton and said, can I have a kick? That he did. Bargain. Brent Harvey, pick 47. Lee Montagna, 38. Sam Fisher, 55 at the Saints. Marcus Bonzapelli only came good in his top age year. Bargains, afterpay shares were $8.01 on March 23, currently trading at 96 bucks and 20 cents. That is great work from that text. I reckon we got just enough time before the news to take another nomination for a bargain by Michael's in Hawthorne. How you doing, Mick? Good, Sammy. How are you, mate? I'm going well for a Friday. We're up and about. We nearly got there, mate. Uh, that's it. Uh, uh, Luke Bruce, pick 47 of the rookie draft. Yep. And the rookie draft is its own conversation. And um, Luke Bruce had a rugby league background, didn't he, Mick? And um, you can sort of see that still in his sidestep and his evasion. Um, it chose to concentrate on footy, and Hawthorne are very glad that happened. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a sensational player. And, um, yeah, I mean, that sort of nutty little forward, that's the sort of player I reckon you can get late, late in the draft. 
Yep, yep. And they are so important in the modern game, aren't they? Good nomination, Mick. Thanks for calling in. Tom Brady went so late because recruiters thought he was an athlete, wasn't quick enough, etc. His self-confidence can't be questioned, though. When he got picked up, he said to the Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, this is the best decision your organisation has ever made. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Meredith Gibbs, she's all that and more. She's on standby in the SEN newsroom. Frank, sit tight in Juan Turner. Plenty more still to come on the captain's run right after the news. Thanks very much, Meredith. Great to hear your voice in the SEN newsroom. Frank's in Juan Turner. While we just carry on for a moment with the bargain buyers, inspired by the draft, and we think we might get some, just given the lack of exposure to the kids in Victoria this year from uh, the AFL recruiters. How you doing there, Frankie? Sorry, mate, I've, I've, I forgot to mention uh, a good mate of mine, and uh, he'll be dirty on He listens to the program all the time, Stephen Alessio from Essendon. Yes. He uh, he just walked off. He, him and his mates were playing basketball. One of his mates suggested he go and have a, a, a try out at Essendon. He walked off the street, and before he knew it, he's playing, playing ruck in the... The first at their Essendon. How's that? Not, not bad. Premiership player, of course, in 2000, wasn't he? And what did he play? I was just looking it up. 184 games, Frank. So, geez, not bad. When they're walking in off the street like that uh, and, and they're giving you that sort of return, that is an out and out steal. Daylight robbery, as they say. Appreciate your call, Frankie. Uh, Liverpool, this one coming through, paid 70 million bucks for Andy Carroll. And $25 million for Luis Suarez in the same year. Carroll, absolute dud, sold for $20 million. But Luis Suarez sold to Barcelona for $200 million. And, by the way, just my two cents, not before he poured in a heck of a lot of good football for the Reds along the way as well. I sold a Melee washing machine in 2010 for 500 bucks. I told the person it was only five years old. Actually said it was made in West Germany, which makes it 1989. Campbell Brown looked over winks at the sales and passed. He wasn't impressed. That one's from Beetle. How's this, Sam? I went to the 1990 Grand Final as a 15-year-old. Horrible day. But the old man bought me a bottle of Premiership Port with the Collingwood team photo on it. He paid about 20 bucks. Now they're going anywhere from 3000 bucks to 5000 Good on you, Chris. Spavens Bay, regular texter. Good uh, nomination from you. Patrick Mahomes, a bargain. Going to be the best quarterback ever. He wasn't. Pretty high pick, wasn't he, though, Paddy Moser? I think he was a top tenner. But still, um, if he keeps delivering what he's delivering, that will be a steal. COVID kicked in, and after pay shares dropped from 40 bucks to $8.50 each, I bought 2,000 shares for 17000 Now they are worth 96 bucks per share. A lot of after pay share nominations coming through. What about this one from Troy? Here's an alternative one. Hey, Sam, my wife got a golden avocado coal squishy. It was one in 100 Coles gave us a $100 gift voucher, a $2,500 Smeg fridge, and then she sold it the golden avocado on eBay for $1,200 from a normal shop up towards $3,800 worth. What? Those squishies from Coles. You've got to be kidding me. Matty Scarlett picked 45 in the 97 draft. Keep these coming through, by the way. Um, Scotty Burns picked 90 in 1992. Good player for the Pies for a long time was Scotty Burns and now a very, very capable assistant coach. We'll leave this shortly, but Pete's on the road. Um, what do you want to talk about there, Pete? Hey, mate. How you doing? Going well. Uh, a couple of points, a couple of nominations on the footy front. So Stewie Jew, when picked up by Hawthorne, surely was, uh, without him, they wouldn't have won that 2008. Uh, premiership. That was a very handy, very handy cameo, you could call it. And uh, the, the other guy, if you remember, for some of your uh, older listeners, uh, Keating, the Ruckman, a bit like Alessio, the Ruckman for Brisbane. 
back in the day. He, he, he was he came out of some obscure. I don't know where they found him, but from memory, they just uh, he came out of nowhere. So it's some local league. I can't recall the story, but. He, again, was a bit of a bargain and uh, did an amazing job for Brisbane. He did indeed, Pete. I'll look that up, actually. I just remember my memory of Clark Keating is just the final specialist. For some reason, he just kept getting injured uh, earlier on in the year, timed his run to perfection in, I think, almost all of the flags he played in, played the last couple of games of the season, then just went gangbusters in the final series. And that was back in the day before the centre circle got brought in. So you just remember Clark Keating with the long run-up, Michael Holding style, like a bull, an enraged bull at the other end of the uh, opposite the other ruckman there at the centre bounces day, and he used to spike that thing forward, and um, he was a, a wrecking ball come the final series for the Brisbane Lions. Good nomination, Pete. A YouTuber. This is off the temper text. A YouTuber named Leonhards. Now I'm I'm going to say I don't know a lot about Pokemon cards, but a YouTuber named Leonhards bought a five dollar Pokemon first edition card pack and ended up having a first edition Charizard in it worth fifty thousand dollars. How can a Pokemon card ever be worth fifty thousand dollars? I'm definitely showing my age, Sammy. I've just driven off the road. I drank my 1990 Collingwood Port. Well, if you barrack for the pies, so you should have. You can't put a price on that, can you? Drought breaking premiership, nice bottle of port alongside. Eddie Betts wasn't picked up as one of seventy eight draftees in two thousand and four, or the sixty five rookies. Keep these nominations coming through. I want to filter these out right throughout the show on a feel good Friday, a fun Friday, if you like. For now, though, let's just change tack a little bit. The cricket season's underway, obviously, at international level, state level, and amateur level, and that's darn good too, isn't it? The Aussies won the one-day series 2-1, the third game in Canberra. Showcase the debut of the highly-rated youngster Cam Green. Now, you'd have to be nervous facing India, wouldn't you? Also coming into bat when things aren't exactly going your way, not a lot of time to muck around and get set in the middle, and the pitch is doing a little bit as it was in Canberra. Now, Cam Green was asked after his debut, that first and final ODI, first ODI for him, final ODI of the series. He was asked of his experience mixing it with the Indian stars and some of the biggest names in world cricket. And he shared this exchange with the Indian keeper, KL Rahul. Yeah, um, actually, I was actually taken aback how nice KL Rahul was behind the stumps. I think he asked me if I was nervous or not. Um, and then I yeah, just replied saying, yeah, obviously yeah, a little bit nervous. Um, and then he was like, yeah go well, youngster type of thing. Um, so I was actually a bit taken aback. I thought it had been pretty opposite. Um, I think Virat was trying to be pretty loud at the time. Um, Fiji tried to get under his skin with a couple of words. So, yeah, no, I was a bit taken aback by how nice that was. Um, so, yeah, I remember that forever. So the nice guy approach from India and KL Rahul and, and Cam Green facing up the first time to some of the stars of world cricket on debut. Now, a lot of us have played the game of cricket, haven't we? Regardless of the level we've played at. So I wanted to know your batting experience and what you've heard at the crease from behind the stumps in your playing days. Whether you used to play, you still play, no matter the level, we've all been there. We've all been batting. We've heard the comical sledging. What's the best sledge you've ever heard? The funniest thing you've ever heard while batting. Cricket's back in town and how good is it? Um, We've all heard it. Now, the cricket's back on, driving past the Oval, seeing the men and women with the whites on again. I want to hear your stories. For my part, I was a cricket fanatic as a kid. Not much chop at it, mind you, but dead keen. At under-14 level, I'd somehow got myself into a, a rep squad of sorts, and we were playing at Moorabbin. And this was, safe to say, a level beyond my capabilities at the time. And I was opening up nonetheless. And I, I reckon I'd played and missed at about four of my first six balls. 
that's when the keeper came out with, I've seen better footwork from a snake. Now, that, that has lived with me for a long time, 13 years of age at the time. He followed up with something like, I've seen better batter and efficient chip shop, all the old favourites, the usual swinging like a rusty gate. I reckon my off stump ended up getting uprooted for not many, not too many balls later. That'll be a tad. The fact that I'm now north of 40 and I can still remember this shows you that it stayed with me. When have you been rattled, amused, or as in the case of the Australian debutante Cam Green, taken aback while at the crease, regardless of the level you've been playing at? Keep your nominations coming through. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Love to hear from you on a fun feel-good Friday on the captain's run. The temper text as well. Oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Temper a mattress like no other. This soothing music, isn't it? Here on the captain's run. Is this Kane Corns' back catalogue that he rolls out here on a normal basis? No, we miss you, Kane. Good, going to be good to have you back from your never-ending holiday next week. We're talking uh, cricket sledging or amusing cricket. Comments, if you like, from behind the stumps around you when you're batting, bowling, or, or whatever. Uh, Cameron Green, after his uh, ODI debut in Canberra uh, a couple of days ago, saying he was taken aback by the niceties from the uh, Indian keeper KL Rahul, when probably understandably he was expecting the exact opposite to take place. Cricket, by the way, tonight, first of three T20s as well. First ball at 7.10 on Fox Cricket. They're back in action there at Marnica Oval in Canberra. Neil's on the road. Neil, you got a nomination for us here when it comes to the cricket. Yeah, I've got a couple, Sam, a bargain and a, and a you know, back in the day when we were about 19, we used to play F Troop in the Dandenong League, the old F grade. And the old, uh, if you kept swinging like you were saying, the old keeper would say, swinging like a pub door at 10, because that's when pubs closed at 10. Yep. <laughs> yep. And the other one was a bargain. I had a 68 Bathurst Monaro, sold it for $3,000. Today it'd probably be worth 350000 Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I spew every day. <laughs> I see it on the guys that, you know, the card options, you know, I think both did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Neil, not that you'd think about it often, uh, commiserations on that, and then thanks for your nominations this morning. Some of them coming through off the text. <laughs> Very enlightening when it comes to the cricket. Very amusing. I was batting with my skipper at the time, trying to avoid an outright loss, and an opposition fielder said, big wicket here, boys. These are the two blokes who've shown they can hang around. Uh, that's from Rowan in Murrubark. I'm not sure about that one, Rowan. Had the opposite. I was number 10 batter. So when I was there, I was getting the usual, including more swipes than an ATM machine. So I turned around and said, if you're going to sledge me, do it right. It's it's an automatic tele, It's not an automatic teller machine. Keeper didn't know what to do. I then bowled him on my second ball in the next innings. And as he walked off, I said, you get no money with those swipes. Cheers from Mark. Was keeping one day and our slips fielder went up to batsman after a few player misses and said, play your natural game, mate. Must be lawn bowls, is it certainly not cricket? I like this one, Keno and Aspendale. I got Stevie Milne out in a 2020 match down at Aspendale. I bowled him and then I patted him on the shoulder and said, not the first time the ball bounced the wrong way. <laughs> he had a laugh and took it the right way. Good stuff from Stevie Milne there, Keno in Aspendale with that one. What about your mum's a scaffolder is the funniest and best sledge I've heard on the cricket and footy field. Your mum's a scaffolder. Triple from Altona, playing in front of Flemington races on a race day. Drunken revelers everywhere. I bowled the bloke, hit it back to me, sitter of a catch, I dropped it, and a bloke yelled out, if it was a pie, you would have caught it, you fat bastard. The whole team and myself are in tears. <laughs> triple from Altona. Good on you, Triple. Uh, 
keep your nominations coming through as well. Uh, uh, some of you are saying, any excuse to replay this one, of course. Remember Pant, Tim Payne, the sledging? Let's just dust it off for old time's sake. You got a special guest today. Come on, monkey. You got a special guest today. Come on, monkey. You got a special guest, huh? Have you heard the word temporary captain ever? Hey, monk. Have you heard the word? Special appearance today, boy. Come on. No responsibility there from captain, boy. Running away always. Always running away, boys. Come on. Special guest today. A lot of you requesting that audio. Pant and Tim Payne there from back in the day. G'day, Sam. A crowd sledge at the MCG that has stayed with me since 1958. Aussie opener Jimmy Burke, who was a competent pianist, copped this. Bowl him a piano and see if he can play that. Rick from Cockatoo. Good on you, Rick. I know uh, Merv Hughes used to roll with that one a bit as well, I think. Um, so keep your nominations coming through on the captain's run here. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The temper text... 0433981116. Still some fantastic nominations coming through for bargains as well. And actually, this clarification here with Tom Brady going a pick 199 back in the day in the NFL draft. We were wondering how that could possibly happen. And Mark from Sydney has text in. Firstly, athletically, he was subpar. Tom Brady, particularly slow in the 40-yard sprint. Also in his college career, there were a number of coaching changes which often favoured other teammates at quarterback Plus, he had injuries in college, so it was a stop-start college career. One coach he had would want to play two quarterbacks in the game, swapping each out at a different time, which isn't ideal when a quarterback is trying to show what they can do in the NFL. Good on you, Mark. Uh, Give him a tennis racket. Ashley coming through. Playing A-grade cricket in Tassie. We were playing against Greg Campbell, who played test cricket for Australia. Our opener went out to bat in white floppy hat. No helmet. Campbell says, why don't you wear a helmet? You tosser, friendly radio term. Opener, only wear a helmet against guys that are quick. Sam in Hobart. Well, there's fighting words. Uh, Keep your nominations coming through. There's some rippers to get through here. We have got a big show. I'll outline it, I promise, after this break. A number of guests still to join us on the captain's run. All thanks to Temper, of course, a mattress like no other. Back shortly. On ECN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Uh, great to have your company on the Captain's Run. Sam Edmund with you up until midday today on a Friday. I hope you're going swimmingly wherever you are and you've got a fun weekend planned. We've covered off bargains today. Cricket's back across the space, not just obviously at the professional level, but all across the country as well, which is great to see. Driving past the various ovals around the place at the weekend. Got me thinking about sledging and Cam Green's admission that he was given the nice guy treatment by KL Raul, what sort of bizarre, humorous sort of uh, mutterings have you been on the receiving end of? Daz has texted in, I played juniors with a deaf bloke. We went up for a court behind and it was turned down. When everyone was quiet again, the deaf bloke says, I even heard that. Good good one, Daz. I liked it. Uh, Reverse sledge, it was a grand final. I was playing against this team for the third time of the season. I had 450 runs aggregate as a batsman against them, all red ink. I asked the bowler if he thinks I should just throw my wicket away. Otherwise, I won't end up with an average against you guys this year. That shut them up. That one from Mark. Uh, Keep your nominations coming through here. Playing cricket one Saturday and I watched a fielder drop a sitter. A spectator yelled out, if it was a watermelon, you'd be covered in pips. That one's from Catter. Good on you, Catter. Adam Gilchrist in the 2003 World Cup final, Michael says, when Ganguly tried to claim a catch that didn't carry, Gilly turns around to him and says... It's an easy game with the replay. Bloody hilarious. 
Playing cricket away, walked in, played and missed first nut, and keeper said, oh, wow, you better tell your boys to turn the showers on now. If you don't want a cold one, they take about three minutes to warm up. We've got a big show here on the Captain's Run today. One of the most brightest talents in the world of basketball. She's uh, won a title with the Seattle Storm in the WNBA, now doing her thing with the Melbourne Boomers in the WNBL. Ezzy Magbegore will join us from the Cairns Hub shortly. Draft hopeful Nathan O'Driscoll, not too far away out of WA. You'll like this kid if you haven't seen him. One of those hard head over the footy types. Doesn't just tackle either, but tackles to hurt. We'll catch up with Nathan shortly out of WA. Michael Laminato on all things Formula One. Plenty happening in the Formula One world as well. There's a Schumacher back at the top level. And what about that Roman Grosjean crash as well and how he's recovering? Vince Crivelli from Melbourne United, of course. We'll talk all things NBL as the boys at United get set for the new NBL season in the new year. Simone Austin and Christina Billings are going to talk diet and health in the workplace, which is timely. It's that time of the year, isn't it, when we're tempted by... The, the evil foods on the shelf, aren't we? So we'll catch up with those two shortly. And Scotty Allen from the Washington Post, some big NBA trade moves happening over there at the moment. Scott, right across that as, as well. Russell Westbrook moving clubs. All that is ahead of us. Nathan O'Driscoll, not too far away, our draft prospect for next Wednesday. Meredith Gibbs is on standby in the newsroom. I've still got plenty of your texts to get through here as well. Keep them coming through. We'll be back very soon. Great to have your company on a Friday morning, as per usual here on the Captain's Run. But it's all about next Wednesday night, isn't it, when it comes to the footy now. It is the AFL National Draft. And one name is going to feature pretty prominently, I think it's fair to say. Forget all the speculation. This kid will definitely be drafted. Let's cast our ears to WA now where we find the hard nut, Nathan O'Driscoll. How are you doing there, Nathan? No, good, mate. Thanks for having me. Well... How many days out are we now? Next Wednesday and Thursday. How are the nerves going for you over there on the other side of the country? Look, I haven't really... It hasn't sunk in yet, but the nerves are certainly kicking in. Um, But I'm excited too, so we'll see what happens. Before we get to your journey, your resume, as I say, is pretty impressive. Um, You played underage for WA last year. You're a tough, strong-bodied midfielder. You've proven yourself adept at the stoppages. As I say, bottom major for WA last year in All-Australian at under-16 level as well. But I wanted to ask you about the combine results here, Nathan. So 2.93 seconds for the 90-metre sprint and 6.23 for the two-kilometre sprint. So you ranked elite in both categories, which is really rare. Normally players are one or the other. But running's always been in the blood. You've always had a good engine? Yeah, yeah. I've always been pretty good endurance-wise. Speed... um Probably not so much. I've had to work on that a lot. But, yeah, running's always been in the family. And the contestable nature of your game that has turned the heads of recruiters since, you, as I say, you came on the scene really at under-16s level, is that what gives you what gives you the most joy out of the game, just when you go out there, Nathan? Yeah, it's definitely that competitiveness. So going in hard, cracking in for the footy, winning my own ball, that's what, that's what I love doing and, and tackling. So... Yeah, I just love the tough side of the game. And just reading some reports back from people who have watched you live a few times, not just that you tackle, but the phrase tackle to hurt gets used a bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. Um, don't mind going pretty hard. I want to make him earn it. So, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, I love it. 
Tell us, before we get to your journey, actually, I wanted to ask you about your, your older sister, Emma, obviously plays AFLW at the elite level. She plays for Fremantle and she uh, made her debut this year, played the four games, I think, before the season got shut down. So, gee, that would make life interesting for you. How many times do you get told, uh, sledging-wise, that you're not even the best player in your family? <laughs> um, I get it a lot, especially from my mates down here, because my younger brother's very good at sport too, so... So I cop it a lot saying that I'm the third best in the family, but, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll just find out next week. Hopefully I get picked up and just prove my mates wrong. How did you cope with the year that was, Nathan? Obviously in, in this part of the world, um, your contemporaries couldn't play at all. Thankfully for you, you were able to get a fair bit of footy in. How do you look back on the 2020 season individually? Um, no, I was pretty happy with it. Look, it was pretty. It was obviously very weird, but... Um, I was still able to play a, a fair chunk of games and got got a got a senior berth, so no, I was pretty happy with this, with my um, season. But obviously, it could have done it could have gone a lot better. Um, could have played a lot better at um, 18s level, that's for sure. But um, lucky enough, I was struck with an injury and COVID hit, so I was still in rehab throughout that time and got my body right for the for the season restart when we were allowed to play again. So yeah, I was actually pretty pretty lucky. You mentioned the senior berth, obviously, in, in the waffle. I think you had 20 touches, six tackles as well against Subiaco. What was that like? Obviously, you know, the experience and being able to say you're playing against grown men in a, in a very high standard competition holds you in good stead, but also gives you a fair bit of confidence too, I'd imagine. Yeah, no, that was really, really good. You learn you learn from a lot of players. Like We had Chris Mastin come down too, so I learned off guys like that throughout the midfield. and like You learn a lot, and it's, it's a massive step up because... In Colts level and that, you're going in for your own footy. You can do whatever you want. But in senior level, you've got to play a role. And I had to play a role. But lucky enough in that game against Subiaco, I was allowed to go out there and just play my style of footy and just win the ball. And, yeah, and I had a pretty good game. So that was pretty lucky. And you were juggling that with a bit of part-time work. I think you were in the tree cutting business, weren't you? Yep, yep. Trav's trees. Chad Warner's um, dad owns a little business in Perth. Right. I was working for him. Trav's trees. What's involved in the in the work there? Uh, pretty much. So we got the tree locker. And Trav gets up in the trees, whether it's the front or backyard, and we just um, cart all the um, logs and stuff to the chipper and, and put it through. And take us back to you went back there this year. Where you're from, Northam. So uh, for those that don't know, what's that? Ninety about ninety minutes east of Perth. Yeah, yeah, ninety minutes. What what goes on in Northam? Oh, not a hell of a lot, mate. It's pretty. It's a pretty boring town. It's a farming town, so there's not a lot to do. But you know, I go for a shot of basketball a lot. Sport, sports a big thing down here, so there's a lot of sport always happening, and yeah, you just try and do whatever, really. That's where we find you today. But th- this is a small farming town, like you say, but it's produced a, a few draftees in recent times. So Sydney Stacks from Northam, uh, Ian Hill as well, GWS is from Northam, and I think Devin Robertson as well, who, who obviously joined Brisbane last year. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, would have no, mixed and matched with those kids growing up, wouldn't you, at various levels? Yeah, I did, yeah. So I played with Devin um, on Saints Junior Footy Club down here. And we would always go up against Bobby in Sydney. So I played a lot of sport against them. That's also like cricket and also basketball as well. So, yeah, it's been pretty competitive when what, I was growing up down here. When did your relationship with footy first start, Nathan? Can you remember the first time? you Was it your first love? And when did you get into it? Um, no, initially I didn't actually like the game. So I started 
you know, I was kicking. I didn't really enjoy it because it was so zony. You had to stay in zones and you couldn't tackle and all that. And like I said before, that's my favourite part of the game. So it was probably under nines, um, maybe my last year of under nines when I really, really enjoyed it because I thought I, I could actually be, be a decent player at, at this game. So, yeah. And the childhood growing up in Northern and, and what was that like balancing? Obviously, you sound like you're a traditional kid in the sense that it was cricket in the summer, footy in the winter. Yeah, yeah. So I did a lot of um, cricket, basketball and footy. So my favourite sport, sports were probably basketball and, and footy, but I had cricket on the side too. So it's a very sporty town. There's, there's always sport to do. And were you sporting a pretty mean-looking mullet for most of this year? You haven't got that anymore, Yeah, I was. I was, yeah. And, and mum made me cut it, but I've actually grown it back a little bit. So, Mum not a yeah, fan? coming back. No, nah, mum's not a fan at all, but I told her I've got to get it back. I've got to be like Bailey Smith. So. <laughs> was, was he the inspiration, was he? Yeah, he was. The mullets are back in fashion at the moment. So Are they? I thought, one, one, yeah, well, over here in WA they are. I don't know about that over there. But, yeah, I thought, why not get it while they're in? So I'll try it out, see how it looks. Speaking of WA, obviously the under-18s coach there is a, is a great of the game. Where's former West Coast spearhead Peter Sumich. What was it like playing under Summer? No, Sum's a really, really good coach. So he's he's more one on one than he is for the team, and that's what I love about him. So he he'll tell you straight up to your face if you're doing something wrong. And he's a really, really old fashioned traditional coach, and I think a lot of us boys loved him because he was so team oriented. And if you weren't doing the team thing, then you weren't playing the game. So yeah, we loved him, and he's a really good coach. Logan McDonald is uh, is someone you know very well. He's going to go right at the pointy end there somewhere. What what can you tell us about Logan? Oh, he's he's an unreal footballer. He obviously everyone's heard about his waffle season, but to be honest, he was doing this a couple of years back as well. He kicked a few bags of six at under fifteens level as well. So there's no surprises that he was going to come out and have the season he did, but. I think it shocked a lot of people, but it hasn't shocked myself, obviously, going through the ranks with him. He's always worked harder than anyone else, and he deserves everything. Yeah, he's he's an unreal footballer. He had a really, really good season. Second in goal kicking, full of waffle. Yeah. So, yeah, he's just crazy good. We're chatting to WA-based draft prospect Nathan O'Driscoll. Nathan, who'd you break for growing up? I went for Fremantle Doctors, so, yeah. How did that come about? Um, I actually don't know because my whole family goes for Eagles, so it was a bit of a weird one. I thought might as well be different to everyone else. And I like the colour purple, so. How have the many, I'm sure, um, club interviews gone? Um, no, they've been well. They haven't been too difficult this year, obviously, because of COVID. Um, a lot of the boys last year said there was a few tricky questions, but this year has been pretty straightforward, and I think the other players can vouch on that. Um, yeah, they just ask general questions about where you're from, like, um, yeah, where you grew up, how your footy's been going, and yeah, everything like that, what your strengths are, weaknesses, and yeah, they're pretty straightforward. You'd have a gut feel, I'm sure. Where do you think you might be, if you're lucky enough, I'm sure you will be, where you might be playing next year? Um, to be honest, I'm not sure what club or anything like that. They don't give too much away, but um, I'm, I'm hoping um, first round, late first round, early second, so... Would you be yeah. wanting to stay local? Um, to be honest, I don't really mind. Look, it, obviously, 
you'd want to stay in your home state. But I, I'm open to moving. I'm I'm actually quite happy with moving. So yeah, I don't mind. If you, if you do move, I suppose the bonus is you can grow that mullet as long and as wild as you want. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right, mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mum can just see it on the TV, man. Yeah, she's out of reach over there, mate. Don't worry about that. Hey, great to talk <laughs> to you, Nathan. Um, you made a name for yourself already as an accumulator, tackling machine, and, geez, you, you, your running numbers are very impressive as well this year. Best of luck uh, for next week, and I hope you're, uh, you get where you want to get to, and um, best of luck with the journey, life-changing experience going forward for you. No, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Nathan O'Driscoll there. Great to have him on the program this morning. While we were speaking, Dom text in. Sam, I saw a tweet last night relating to Peter Sumich's critiques on of his young WA juniors. He said O'Driscoll is very critical on himself when he makes an error. And that sort of came through, didn't it? He, he sets a high bar for himself, but um, it's not necessarily a flaw, is it? It's just a, a trait and a pretty key character trait too when you go back and have a look at the players who have had success at the professional level. They all set a very high bar for themselves. He's certainly got a good training ethic and um, get used to that name. I think we'll hear a fair bit of that going forward. Heard a fair bit of the uh, cricket sledging over the last half an hour or so. Still some remnants of these coming through. One day in the field, a police vehicle turned up to watch our game. One of our players said, hey, the police have turned up to arrest these guys for impersonating batsmen. And this one from Simon. I love this, Simon. First bat was a Slazenger Bradman. Mum paid 88 bucks for it. After three seasons, I broke the splice. I sent it to Slazenger to get fixed. It was signed by Darren Berry, who came to training one night. It looked a little like the Don signature, and Slazenger sent me a check for 750 bucks, saying they couldn't repair it. Absolute win. I was playing in a corporate event about 12 months ago. I was swinging the willow hopelessly. The keeper pipes up and says, can you just hurry up and get out or I'll report you to HR for wasting your company's time? I went out a few balls later, unceremoniously bowled. You're listening to Captain's Run. Sam Edmonds sitting in for Kane Corns this morning, right up until midday. Plenty still to come on the program, including this man, Michael Laminato. Many of you will know F1 Strategy Report podcast and, of course, uh, the Box of Neutrals podcast as well. Knows all things Formula One inside and out. And haven't there been plenty happening in that sport in the last few days? So we'll catch up with Michael Laminato on the other side of this and plenty more still to come. Don't go anywhere on the captain's run. But yeah, other than that, I don't really want to comment too much more on the race. I think I was just, I want to express my um, disgust and disappointment with, with Formula One. Um, the way the, the incident of Grosjean was broadcast over and over, the replays over and over, uh, it was completely disrespectful and inconsiderate for his family, for all of our families watching. We're going to go race again in an hour, and every time we look on the TV, it's a ball of fire um, and his car's cut in half. I mean, we don't, we can see that tomorrow. We don't need to see it today. And I, I just, for me, it was entertainment and they're, they're playing with, playing with all of our emotions. And I thought it was pretty disgusting. So. Strong words, weren't they? And they belong to Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, 
While the Bahrain Grand Prix was held over, of course, on Sunday, that heart-stopping crash with Roman Grosjean, the Frenchman, flying into the wall at some 220 kilometres an hour, his car breaking in two and uh, erupting into a massive fireball. And plenty of people have had their say on that, the way it was covered. You heard from Daniel Ricciardo there, and somewhat surprising that we'll get to in a moment. His countryman, the champion from yesteryear, Alan Jones, has had a big dig at Daniel Ricciardo in the wake of that as well. A man who's across that and so much more. And hasn't there been absolutely plenty happening in the world of Formula One of late? He's the podcast host and editor at the Strategy Report, the presenter and co-creator at the Boxer Neutrals podcast as well, and a Formula One guru, Michael Laminato. Thanks for joining us, Mickey. No problem at all. How are you doing? Going well. I hope you've been going well. Also, you've certainly... Had plenty on your plate when it comes to Formula One. What did you make of the Daniel Ricciardo's comments in the wake of Roman Grosjean's crash? And thankfully, by the way, the footnote is that Roman, Roman will make a, a full recovery and he's up on his feet, albeit heavily bandaged. But what did you make of Daniel Ricciardo's take on it? It was really interesting because, first of all, I think it's kind of rare to hear Daniel so worked up. We know he's, he, he's not afraid to share his opinion, but he was very clearly angry. I mean, he said he was disgusted, didn't he? with the whole situation with the replays. And I think what that really speaks to is how shocked the drivers were, not just by the size of the crash, because big crashes do, of course, happen from time to time in Formula One, like all motorsport. But the fire element, I think, changed things for a lot of the drivers, as well as the fact this was just so high speed. This was a high speed part of the circuit. I think that really struck a chord with the drivers in a way that they don't ordinarily confront the dangers they're facing. They know the dangers about getting into a car, but fire is so much in the past of Formula One that this was a really shocking reminder. And so I think that brought up a lot of that emotion for them. Probably they're not happy generally when crashes get replayed over and over again in more normal circumstances. But this was, if you like, a bit of a tipping point for him. And it sort of transcends Formula One, doesn't it, Michael, in a way? I mean, we all look away at various replays across sport when they're particularly graphic. And Formula One said in response to Ricardo's comments, and I think the the two parties are going to come together if they haven't done already to discuss it, but that they only showed the replays once they established that Roman Grosjean and, and those, the marshals that raced to his aid, were going to be okay. That was when they showed the replays. But what did you make of uh, Alan Jones, the former champion's comments on Wild World of Sports that I flagged earlier? actually said... Daniel Ricciardo's going on about the replays. If he's not aware something like that could happen, he should give it up. It's a dangerous sport. We've got poor old Daniel Ricciardo raving on about how insensitive and stupid it was to show the replays. But the game they're in, it's a possibility. What Alan Jones shooting from the hip there, Michael? He's never afraid to express his opinion, is he, Alan Jones? Look, I... I understand where Alan's coming from. He, he's from a different era of Formula One where crashes like this were far more common. Uh, really before the, let's say, 90s or even 80s, crashes and even fatalities were almost extremely common in Formula One. And they're just kind of made from a different mentality, if you like. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily agree with that. I'll, I'll sort of say that first of all. Uh, he's entitled to his opinion, of course. But I think it's not that this is drivers from from what Daniel Ricciardo was saying. I don't think this is them shocked that there is the risk of of danger or death in Formula 1. I don't think that is where they're coming from. Really just that, you know, especially the start of the race, a crash so large. While we saw Romain Grosjean get out and looked unscathed, there's still some degree of unknown in that situation. It does put a lot of 
I mean, it puts a lot of emotion to the drivers, the families as well. I thought it was interesting for Daniel Ricciardo to raise, and he spoke to Romain Grosjean's wife afterwards, and she was yeah. sort of on his side. And I also thought it was really interesting, Romain Grosjean's teammate, Kevin Magnussen, spoke yesterday, and he said, watching the replays, it was great to see Romain get out unhurt, and that was useful to see in the replay. In big crashes, it's, it would not be unusual for there to be internal injuries, and Romain Grosjean was like, he didn't have any, but that's something you might not discover until later, and then all of a sudden you're looking at a replay of an accident that in an hour's time was actually far more serious than you thought. So I think there's a bit more to it than, than Alan's letting on, but it's obviously is a very vexed, uh, vexed issue. Do you know what uh, Grosjean's immediate future looks like there, Michael? I know he returned to the Bahrain International Circuit. It was a pretty moving encounter with the marshals and the medical team who helped save his life. He went there and expressed his uh, thanks and gratitude. We know he's spotted Haas. This weekend's been taken by Pietro Fittipaldi. Um, what's happening with Roman Grosjean beyond this weekend, do you know? Well, there's not a lot of time for him beyond this weekend. We've got mm. one, more, one more race next weekend, and that's his last in Formula 1. His contract has not been renewed. This happened before the crash, we're pointing out. Yep. Uh, and it seems unlikely there's going to be room for him in the grid next year, and if there isn't, then if his future in Formula 1 is probably over. So he'll be pushing really hard to get back in the car, but it really is just a matter of recovering from his injury. He's taken some of the bandages off, which is good news, but whether or not he can get his gloves on and, and have the dexterity requires will be the test for him. So we know that Lewis Hamilton's been struck down by COVID-19 and George Russell, the British youngster, is going to step in for him and drive the Silver Arrow. How exciting is this for George, the UK, and and I guess the future of Formula One? Oh, so it's exciting for me as well. I'm excited to see it. This is a huge, this is a huge moment for George Russell. You said he's a young kid, only second year of Formula One, but he's a Mercedes Junior, which is why they've specifically gone to negotiate with Williams to get him out of the that seat for this weekend and possibly next weekend, depending on Lewis's recovery. And he's very much the future of that team. He's sort of the Lewis Hamilton's heir, if you like. And all of a sudden, we get an opportunity to see him not just testing in that car, but racing in that car and. Racing against Valtteri Bottas, who I mm. think, because he's so regularly beaten by Lewis Hamilton, is a little bit underrated. I don't think it's going to be as easy as perhaps some people think, but he's up against a really stern test there. Ironically, I think there's not too much pressure on him because the title's been wrapped up, because no one will expect too much of him because a mid-season swap of cars is really difficult. But for a guy who's scored no points yet in his Formula 1 career by virtual racing in the slowest car of the grid, the opportunity to score your first points with a podium, perhaps a win, is just a really great sport story. And I can't wait to see how he goes this weekend. But if it's a great story for George, it's going to be a nightmare for Valtteri Bottas. I really wanted to ask you this. I mean, with, <laughs> with Lewis out, how much pressure... I mean, Mercedes have been peerless again this season. How much pressure is there on an established name and driver like Valtteri Bottas to do what everyone would expect and win this race at the weekend? It's enormous because looking into George Russell's eyes, if he does this weekend, is really looking into the eyes of the guy who is being lined up to replace him, probably in 2022. So it is important to him, and it shouldn't be out of the question for him, to really beat George here. And I think he needs to do it fairly convincingly in all of the circumstances to just remind people that he is a decent driver. And it's also a big opportunity for him. I know this is the end of the season, of course, and you know, next season is still some time away, but to even have a small opportunity to build just a little bit of momentum for himself without Lewis in the other car, because when Hamilton is your teammate, you essentially have no oxygen. You are really up against it to try and build any kind of inertia for yourself. And this is a perfect opportunity for him to do that. And I think he really has to, not only for, for his standing inside the team, if you like, but probably for a bit of his own self-confidence after the couple of seasons he's had. 
We're speaking with Formula One expert Michael Laminato. Michael, the other big news of the week concerned another Michael, or a Mick as he's referred to. There's another Schumacher back in the pits next year. He's joined the Formula One grid with Haas. Of course, he's a seven-time world champion son of Michael. His name's Mick Schumacher. I'll tell you what, he is a chip off the old block, isn't he? He's a spitting image of his old man. Yeah, when his helmet's on and you can only see his eyes, you would be forgiven for thinking that Michael Schumacher was back in the car many years younger, mind you. It's a great story, of course, for, I think not just Formula One, a great sports story to have this sort of father-son combination. He's in the Ferrari junior program as well. That's why he's arrived at Haas, which is sort of a bit of a Ferrari uh, partnership team, if you like. And really pleasingly, I think, he's done all of the right things. He's won the Formula 3 championship He's on track to win the Formula 2 championship, touch wood. He's still not got the deal done. He's got his last weekend this weekend, uh, and he's sort of odds on to to seal that he's in the lead there, which is really good because there's a lot of pressure, obviously, on the name. And you got the sense, even when he hadn't clocked up those titles, that there was a bit of destiny involved. He was going to get to Formula 1 as long as he was sort of doing enough. He's done more than enough. He's done everything that can really be expected of him by winning these titles. So he'll arrive in Formula 1 very much earning that spot. He will also be quite close to the back of the grid with the Haas team, which means there won't be too much pressure on him. All he'll kind of have to do is beat his teammate, put in a good showing. We know he's got really great sort of mental strength. He's got a very good head on his shoulders by all accounts. I mean, you'd have to being the the son of uh, someone as iconic as Michael Schumacher. And then if he can acquit himself well there, he's very much on that conveyor conveyor belt towards Ferrari, which would just be a, a sport dream, isn't it? Absolutely. We're nearly out of time, Michael, but speaking quickly, just of conveyor belts, Oscar Piastri is very much on that. Now, he's gone from F3 to F2 with Prema Racing, of course. Is it a fait complete that this kid makes it? Are the raps on him so big that he's definitely going to get the opportunity? This is a great opportunity because Prema is the leading team. He'll essentially be taking Mick Schumacher's seat, so we know that he can win. We up against some established guys in his own team who'll be trying to win as well. Mm. But he's very much on the right track. You can't fault him so far. A good season in F2, even winning the title, will put him in the frame. It is a little bit right place, right time in terms of getting into Formula 1. He needs there to be a seat available. But so far, he's done all the right things and he's got the best opportunity to make it. Only a couple of races to go in the season, Michael. Looking forward to them. And then, of course, the discussion starts about the Australian Grand Prix in March. How quickly it rolls around again. And hopefully that gets off the ground and uh, in a traditional format as well. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. No problem, mate. Thank you. It's been a good week in the NBL. Why? Because finally we have a fixture laid out in front of us. Uh, We've got officially the green light. Well, at least for the first five rounds anyway. And I reckon this man would be... Pretty darn happy with that development. He's the CEO, of course, of Melbourne United. A big welcome to you, Vince Crivelli. Sam, thank you, mate. Pleasure to be on, and uh, thanks for having me. It must feel good to have an official start date for the 2021 NBL season. I'm sure you had a rough idea of how things might look, but still, to get it across the line officially and know your season starts on January 10, it must start to feel a bit more real. Yeah, you know, I've never um, experienced such joy um, as an emotion for some certainty. Uh, it's been such a year. I think we've all experienced this uh, this year differently and the uncertainty of it all for all of us in our personal life and our business life is, has been nothing nothing short of a challenge. So to have some certainty for the season was, uh, was a, real, um, a real uplifting feeling. And the league haven't mucked around either. It's a big opening round and you're up against your, your crosstown rivals, the South East Melbourne Phoenix. It, it whets the appetite somewhat, this one. It sure does. 
uh, we started this rivalry last season with Phoenix's first year in the competition. And um, <clears throat> so we, we throw down five and we're looking forward to opening the opening the season with it. And we hope we can get the chocolates. They they took care of us last year in game one and got us on the hop. So, yeah, I think we're looking for a little revenge and uh, yeah, glad glad we can get it out of the way in the opening round. And just with this particular matchup, Vince, do you know where it's going to be played? It's location TBC, and as I say, we don't have the full fixture and there's a few missing pieces of the puzzle. Do you have an expectation about where it would be played, perhaps John Kane Arena? Look, we're hoping for John Kane Arena, but we're working through um, the processes with all the various stakeholders. Everyone's intention is to have it at John Kane Arena, but obviously with the complications with the Australian Open and, and everything else that's happening in the precinct at the time, we're probably few days away from being able to confirm that um notwithstanding you know our intention this year is to get as many fans into our games uh, as often as possible and you know we just have to have a degree of agility in our planning um to deal with whatever might be thrown up as a result of the virus um so yeah hoping for john kane arena but plan b and plan c are also being worked on just in case I'm glad you mentioned the sport, uh, the fans rather, Vince, because that's uh, the question that so readily comes to mind. And, and to a degree, I appreciate it. You probably can't put you know, all the answers around it. But what are things looking at at the moment? What is the situation with crowds? How many can attend and how they can attend on January 10? The latest advice we have is that uh, it's a 25% venue cap. Um, the way we're all heading and the amazing work that all us Victorians have done to uh, curb the virus, um, get it under control. If we if we stay on track, we're optimistic that those um, those caps may lift. But of course, it's way out of our control. Um, as it stands right now, at 25% capacity, we're pretty close to just being members only um, for our game. But as I said, we're we're optimistic that we'll have some uplift in those numbers. Um, and be able to get as many fans through those doors. It's, cer- it's certainly a priority for us. Um, our sport is definitely one that um, thrives as an entertainment product with the stands full mm. and a roof over our head. It makes a, it makes the occasion special on, on every time. And you know, for us, it's a, it's a really important element to what we do and, and how we present our sport. Absolutely. And John Kane Arena, which is obviously Melbourne Arena rebranded earlier on this year. What's the capacity of that? Is it around 10,000 in basketball format, Vince? Yeah, it's 10,300 in basketball format, um, just just shy. Um, so the, the, the element that is somewhat um, conflicting on the 25% is also the, the requirement for distancing, appropriate distancing between patrons. So the venue, uh, Melbourne Olympic Park Trust, the, the, the management of the venue have been extraordinarily helpful. They've been great working with us and, and really all of the sports to try to help bring us all back. Um, everybody's working in in partnership um, right through the chain. And um, I think we just need to be a little patient, um, remain optimistic and do the right things mainly. I mean, the biggest message is here is the health message. And if we can keep that under control, then I think we're in good shape. So if it stays at about 25,000, obviously you're looking at a crowd of around 2,500. And as you say, the logistics with social distancing. How many members do, do United have at the moment, Vince, as we speak? Yeah, we finished off the season last year at 4,500 members. Mm. Um, so we, we've got somewhat of a challenge on our hands. And again, we're, we're, optimistic that the, we're, very, we're optimistic that 
the um, the restrictions may lift a little and, and it's less of a problem. But, you know, the, the only good thing that I can really say is, um, you know, if I look at the, what the NBL have got in store for basketball fans all through the country, you know, we're going to be playing a lot of games, um, more games on a more regular basis. And I, I definitely think irrespective of the venue capacity limits, um, access to that form of entertainment for those people that love our sport and are craving live sport, um, I think there'll be ample opportunity throughout the year to get along and, and support their team, whether it's us, whether it's Phoenix or whether it's an interstate team. I, I think there'll be um, ample opportunity to, for everybody to get out and enjoy it. Yeah, and we are getting a few messages as we speak from United members who are obviously really hungry to be back attending the games. I guess we all hope it opens up, don't we, and you can get more people in. If it doesn't, though, I'm sure you're doing some planning around it. Would it be a ballot or some sort of member allocation for, for your home games? How do you think you would handle it if it had to be a selection process? Yeah, look, we're taking some advice on that, on, on what the best and most fairest way to um, allocate all of those uh, members into the, the appropriate seats. Um, and again, you know, we, we know it's going to be a challenge, um, but we quite honestly can't survive without our fans, without our members. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's just about finding a system uh, a little closer to when we have some certainty on what those numbers are um, on how we allocate uh, members to seats. But our intention is to get everybody through the doors and that's what we're fighting for and that's what we're striving for at the moment and I think we'll keep our eyes firmly on that and, and in the background we're just as I said taking the right advice from and learning from other sports who have had this problem all year and, and seeing what the right model for us is. We're speaking with uh, Melbourne United CEO Vince Crivelli. Vince back to matters on court if you like the signing of the star forward Scotty Hobson a one year deal I mean how thrilled are you with that signing and what can Scotty bring to United? Very, very excited about what um, about Scotty. You know, when we were starting the process of of building this year's list, uh, and it starts very early in the piece. Um, you know, it really does. Uh, we're, we're working a couple of years in front, but when we started working on this year a little bit more specifically, and we started understanding what we needed, we, we went through a process to identify those talents. And, and Scotty Hobson is the definition of what the position description required was for the team. So. He's a great fit. He's a very versatile player. He's a secondary ball carrier. So he, he just gives us a little bit more assurance um, if required at end of quarters, end of games, out of timeouts. Um, he's, a, he's a great playmaker, but he's also an exciting finisher himself. So I think um, the versatility is what we were looking for. Um, and at, you know, six, six, seven, he, he really gives us incredible versatility and depth um, in our roster where we felt we were a little vulnerable and lacking in, in the season just gone. So I'm really excited about him. He's, he's an incredible professional, very diligent how he maintains himself, but he's got a great sense of humour. Um, he, he's up and about. I think our fans will really enjoy getting to know him. And those people that, that know our club and come to our games regularly get, will, will, will understand they, they get a chance to get to know our players. And I think they're all going to really enjoy having a few quiet conversations with Scotty. He's got great stories and a, a great manner about him. Sad to see the back of Andrew Bogut, Vince. Look, I think Andrew's done an amazing job for our sport. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a long time um, fan of our game. Before I before I was anything else, I was a a young a young kid that loved the sport. And people like Andrew paved the way and have and have um, trailed um, a path 
and, and inspired so many. So I'm unbelievably thankful to Andrew for what he's contributed to our game as an athlete. Um, you know, I, I think he leaves the sport as an athlete in a great space. And if I know anything about him, he's, he's not done yet. He's got more to give. And um, differences aside, you know, I, uh, everybody at Melbourne United is really thankful for what he's, what he's done, what he's achieved. And um, at the same time, happy to, happy to not have to go against him this year. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Vince, before we let you go, the league's obviously released the first five rounds, if you like, as we said. Now, they're saying the remainder of the schedule will be announced in stages and that there could be a hub for a portion of the season, which is still being considered. Uh, are you hearing it could be in Victoria? That seems to be what most people are expecting. If there is to be a hub, that the, the teams will be based in this city. That's obviously what's happening with, with New Zealand in the early part of the season as well. Yeah, it hasn't been confirmed, Sam, but they are definitely considering a hub. And, and again, you know, where, wherever that will be, you know, that, this is the point. I, I, mm. I'm, I'm feeling really great about fans' ability to get out and support their teams and, and get as much basketball stuffed into their stuffed into their week as they as they can. Mm. And if it's in Melbourne, we'll we'll embrace it with open arms, and um, you know, be a great opportunity for all our Melbourne-based basketball fans to get along and. And not only watch the home teams, but also get a chance to watch the amazing talent that's spread throughout the league. I'm hopeful that it's Melbourne, but um, just waiting on a confirmation that it's going to proceed and then be where, where that location will be. So, yeah, we're all we're all fingers crossed and 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 uh, and waiting. Um, not much more we can do at this point. No, we're all in the same basket, aren't we, Vince? I know I speak for my entire household. We love getting along to the game, so we're certainly hoping that uh, things keep trending the way they are and as many people as possible can get along to John Kane Arena and uh, it's a magnificent atmosphere when it when it's full. So I hope we can get close, get that, or get very close to that come January 10 and beyond. Best of luck with all the logistics of that and obviously the season beyond. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Sam. Simone Austin is a name that many of you will be familiar with. She was a dietitian at the Hawthorne Football Club. She's the author of Eat Like an Athlete, of course. Simone, I'm glad you're on the line. You can help us out here. Absolutely, and I can help you enjoy it at the same time, Sam. <laughs> Fantastic. Because your whole methodology, if you like, is about how everyone, including non-athletes, should eat like an athlete, and it helps us in so many different ways, principally, well, at the moment, until we hang up the boots for the working year, productivity in the workplace. Absolutely, because nutrition is a tool that you don't need um, skilled. We've all got it at our fingertips. So you just got to work out what works for you and um, you can eat to boost your performance and your energy and, and use it just like athletes do. Why shouldn't we? I just mentioned your background there briefly with athletes and that included the Hawthorne Footy Club. What, what was a typical day of eating like for the Hawks under your reign, Simone? Yeah, I suppose it depended if you were a first year or a, you know, a, a one on the on the way out or an older player or maybe an injured player. But it was really important for them to all know that they were individual because a young player coming in who needed to gain some muscle mass would have been eating much more regularly. So a breakfast before they left home, maybe of cereal and yogurt. And then when they get to the club, maybe before they got on the track, they would have maybe some toast with some eggs and a glass of milk. Um, whereas an older player might've just had one breakfast um, go out and train, come back and usually have an early lunch. And I also like this in the workplace, Sam, where often you're hungry around 11 o'clock mm. and you think, oh, it's not lunchtime, so you'll wait. Well, it's probably better to have an early lunch like they often did. And it might have been a cooked lunch or it might have been some toasted sandwiches and some fruit. And then have another lunch around 
two-ish or so after they would finish a gym session. Uh, but for us, for us in the workplace, that's another time that we might be hungry. Better off to have a, a meal rather than going into the lunchroom and grabbing some biscuits or cakes or chocolate bar at the vending machine on the way home. And if you're going to do exercise after work, it's also fueling you for that exercise after work. And you can sort of hold on till you get to dinner time. And the players would come home then and probably have a dinner around six o'clock, similar to what you or I might eat, but for some of them in a bigger volume. Simone, I'm not sure if our listeners here are anything like me, but I get the munchies at around four o'clock here at the workplace. And a lot of workplaces have vending machines around every corner. And sometimes I just can't help myself. I see that Snickers sitting there. It's easy. I just got to get it. Yeah. And that's why that if you eat your brekkie and then a lunch at 11 and a lunch sort of more at two-ish, you're not going to be starving at four o'clock then. And you can be a bit more selective on what you choose. So it might mean that it's a bit like um, even kids in the lunchbox. Rather than thinking they've got to have a snack first and then their lunch, think about two lunches. So as I said, it could be wraps. It might be um, taking some soup. And in the afternoon, when you're grabbing those munchies at 4 o'clock, you might actually be dehydrated um, and not know the difference between being thirsty and hungry and you just think it's food. So soup is perfect around that 2 or 3 o'clock mark a chicken soup or a hearty minestrone to fill you up, hydrate you, and then you can confidently walk past that vending machine or at least pick a smaller amount of those you know, chocolate or other sweet-type foods you might want. Yeah. It's one of those things, though, isn't it, where it's, it's easy to uh, attempt and more difficult to carry out. Tell me, at Hawthorne, was it difficult keeping some of the players in line with the diet, Simone? Yeah, absolutely, because footy players are a little bit different to say – some of your triathletes or, um, we, you know, those keen cyclists and things who are really into health, footy players generally come into footy because they're good at footy with their mates and they realise they can make a profession of it by continuing to play, but they're not necessarily into health. So I've got to, one, convince them that nutrition is going to be good for their performance. And so like for any of us, once you can put that link together, that nutrition is going to help you for your performance at life, then they start to get onto onto it because it's going to make them play better. It's going to get them a selection. You're going to earn more. You're also going to get to do what they love. So once I can link that together and they can see it, then I've got them on board. Fantastic. Simone, stand by. I'm just going to bring in Christina Billings here. Christina is the founder of the Health at Work initiative, which promotes healthy eating in the workplace because your work is so closely intertwined. Christina, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Tell us about the Health at Work initiative I just spoke of there, which obviously promotes healthy eating in the workplace, which we've just been talking about with Simone. Tell us about the origins of this and how it's come about. Look, we, it's really important for overall health and well-being, of course, in the workplace. And part of that is nutrition because we know now the impact that nutrition has on both physical health and also mental health. So there's a, that real connection there. So a lot of workplaces now are concentrating on you know, mental health of their employees, special especially through this COVID time. And as we say to them, you have to have all the pillars of health and nutrition definitely is one of those pillars. So we created a couple of online tools that are really um, important uh, for 
especially through have been amazing through COVID. Our health and wellbeing platform that covers as all areas of health and has nutrition. In fact, Simone, last month we had our nutrition month on our online program, and Simone did a wonderful cooking demonstration. So that went out to over about 1,500 um, employees listening in to Simone talk about health in the workplace and give real tips about boosting in, you know, in their um, productivity it, through their sort of, um, you know, increased levels of, um, you know, it, of their health and real concentration through throughout the day, which I think is really important because we know that a healthier workforce um, is three three times more productive than their, you know, less healthy counterpart. So having a platform like ours that talks about nutrition, mental health, um, it, it goes on to physical health. So combining all those factors of overall health and wellbeing is something that we, you know, allow access it's accessible to employees 24-7 um, on any device. So it really gets that connectivity, um, having some interaction with them and helps employees. That's a great resource. And Christina, speaking to Simone, obviously, a couple of moments ago about the, the Snickers bar that looms large in the vending machine. In, in, in your time, in your experiences, what are the biggest challenges like people listening at the moment, what what are you finding the biggest challenges are for people in the workplace when it comes to nutrition? Because it's a fast world, it's a fast life. You got you're juggling multiple balls in the air. Often, it's uh, the food is the last thing people think about, and uh, they go for whatever's within reach. I mean, what are your experiences with the difficulties people face with maintaining a healthy eating in the workplace? Absolutely, and look, we've found that over time. You know, workplaces are. You know, the old the old workplaces always supplied cream biscuits, biscuits, and it was always people would go and get their coffee in the morning and grab two biscuits that were in tins and jars all over benches. You know, we've worked with many clients to actually change that around and actually do marketing on it. That actually, you know, that you know, two biscuits in a coffee with a couple of mm-hmm. um, teaspoons of sugar is like eating virtually a big mac a day sort of thing if you're having that in the morning and the afternoon. So workplaces are actually taking a bit more responsibility also and they've been changing what they offer to their clients. And I think also we've got a online, uh, one of our latest tools is an online health check. And that online health check is something that um, employees, employers are implementing to actually make people aware of their health status. So it it gives their cardiovascular disease risk assessment. It does type 2 diabetes, which again is is really diet related for type 2 and and is an epidemic here in Australia with obesity um, and gives them a mental health risk and also gives them their key uh, key lifestyle indicators, which one of is diet. So once they do the online assessment, they see that they're not eating enough fruit or vegetables, that their diet isn't, they're not exercising enough, they're at risk of cardiovascular disease. And it puts them the responsibility back on them to be able to make lifestyle changes. Because I think it's really important for us to educate in the workplace and educate on nutrition and great seminars. And we do fantastic um, healthy snacking stands where 
employees come and learn about why they should be eating proteins and doing things like Simone said, having soups and having two meals rather than going for the Snickers in the vending machine in the afternoon. So it puts the responsibility. They realise what their health risks are. And then the business, along with, you know, um, someone like ourselves, can, can then do targeted programs to educate and empower the employees. And, and nutrition definitely is one of those to get sustainability and really productivity out of your employees. Oh, when you mentioned Bickies in the workplace, my mind immediately went to the Monte Carlo. Long live the Monte Carlo with a cup of tea, Christina. But uh, great to have you on board today. You're the founder of Health at Work, promoting healthy eating in the workplace. Christina Billings and Simone Austin, ex-dietitian for the Hawks. Many of you will know and her book, Eat Like an Athlete, on shelves everywhere at the moment. Well, Ezzy Magbador is one of the brightest young talents in Australian basketball. She had an excellent debut season in the States with the Seattle Storm, a championship-winning season nonetheless, and she's in the thick of the WNBL season at the moment with the Melbourne Boomers, and she's got an eye on the Olympics next year as well with the Opals. Great pleasure to welcome her. Hello, Ezzy. Welcome to SEN. Hey, Sam. I'm good. How are you? Oh, going well down here. But what's life like up there? I know there's a hub system in place for the WNBL, something you've become very used to this year, it must be said. What's life like in the hub up in Cairns? Um, it's nice in Cairns. Um, this is our kind of our last leg of the hub. So we were in um, Townsville and Mackay earlier on, and so we're in Cairns, and it's beautiful here. Um, there's a pop-up stadium, so we're currently playing in Bunnings, which has been made into a basketball stadium. So I think they call it the snag pit, which is pretty funny. Um, but, yeah, it's nice in Cairns. We're here with a few other teams. Um, but, yeah, it's a pretty um, busy stint for us. We've got five games in eight days, so we've just had two of them, so three to go. So, Ezzy, just help us out here. For those that aren't aware, you're playing in a Bunnings. Is that correct? We are. So the um, Cairns Convention Centre, I think, is getting renovated. So they had to make a pop-up stadium and they converted an old Bunnings um, into a basketball stadium. Um, and it actually turned out pretty good. Uh, who would have thought you'd be doing that, hey? And I think you dropped 23 yeah. points in the snag pit, didn't you, against the Sydney Uni Flames um, this week as well. So clearly the snag pit agrees with you. you got good form in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I must. Hopefully I continue that on. Tell us about your season in the WNBA, your debut season, which I don't know what you thought. It's hard to imagine it going any better for you. You provided a real spark off the bench. Your, your team, the Seattle Storm, win the championship as well. Your numbers were great. How did you find the experience over there in another hub, obviously, in Florida? Yeah, um, yeah obviously it was different, you know, just being um, in a bubble, kind of not being able to leave, um, not being able to travel, which is, you know, something I was looking forward to in the WNBA, just kind of seeing, you know, America um, and travelling. But I think it was a great experience just to be with the Storm and to learn with the, to learn from the players that I did learn from. It was great. Um, and it's not every day you get to, you know, be in, you know, the same environment as people for a few months and just to win the championship um, tops it off. So you averaged six and a half points a game, two and a half rebounds. You had 22 appearances, I think, as well, and averaged 13 minutes a, a game. Was it everything you expected it to be from the on-court side of things? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I've played with such great um, teammates. So, you know, coming off the bench for, you know, Stewie, um, you know, Natasha Howard, Crystal Langhorne, Mercedes Russell as well. 
um, you know, I knew I had to come in and kind of bring that spark off the bench. And, you know, I definitely, um, you know, played more than I thought, which I was, you know, pretty lucky for just being a rookie. Um, but yeah, just whenever I got on, I knew I had to just bring that energy for my team. And yeah, we were just grateful to go all the way. What's it like having the title, I guess, uh, and living up to it as Australian basketball's, you know, next big thing, so to speak? I mean, you've already been described as the next Lauren Jackson. What's that like sitting on you? Does that sit comfortably with you, Ezzy, or it's something that you you would rather not, not be there? Um, you know, obviously Lauren Jackson, she ama- was an amazing player and she did so many things for, you know, Australian basketball. So to be compared to her is, you know, it's, amazing to be able to be compared to her but I think you know I still have a long way to go in my career and I still have I guess a long way to go in terms of working on my game um but I think you know I'm grateful that people do see that potential in me and you know hopefully I can you know just work on my game and obviously um just have a long career ahead of me as well Tell us about your journey, Ezzy. You were born in New Zealand, weren't you? Um tell us how you found your way here and and how you first fell in love with the game um, yeah, so I was born in New Zealand, Wellington, um, and my family and I moved to Australia, to Melbourne when I was five. So I started primary school at Oak Park Primary School, and my sister's singing teacher actually owned like a domestic basketball club at the Coburg Basketball Stadium. They were called the Northern Rebels, and that's kind of how I first got exposed to the sport. So my older siblings, my brother and sister, started playing, and like all younger siblings do, they want to copy their older siblings. So I just, you know, kind of copied them and um, started playing. And, you know, I wasn't very good at the sport. I was pretty uncoordinated and, you know, didn't really know how to, you know, fit into my body, I guess, with the sport. So it kind of took me a while. Um, But I think when I was maybe 14, 15, when I made my first state team was when I really, you know, decided, you know, hey, this is something that I definitely want to do in the future that I could potentially do and I've always been like a shy quiet kid and I think basketball kind of helped me just come out of my shell a little bit and kind of forced me to you know be uncomfortable and kind of make friends and stuff so I'm super grateful in that aspect of the sport as well and yeah just here I am now yeah and your heritage I think you so your parents are Nigerian is that right Yes, both my parents are Nigerian and and you're six foot four in the old scale uh, uh, are your siblings similar height uh yeah they are so I've, I've got two brothers one sister um and both my brothers are taller than me I think maybe six six and six seven and my sister's actually the oldest sibling but she's the shortest I think she's about uh six foot so right. she's still relatively tall but um she's the shortest out of all of us Tell us about, before we get to the WNBL season that you're obviously in the thick of at the, at the moment, the Opal squad, obviously, I think it was December 2017, you were first named to the Opal squad and you featured in the in the yeah. team that won gold at the Commonwealth Games in 2018. What are your thoughts about the Olympics for next year and your part that you might play in that? Um, yeah, obviously, you know, the Olympics were meant to happen this year and I think just it's hopefully going to happen next year. Um Obviously, there are a lot of there's a lot of preparation that needs to be done, and I think with the Opals team, it's really important for us to, you know, be together and kind of train as a team whenever we can, which we haven't had the chance to do that this year. Um, but yeah, hopefully, you know, I do make that team and can kind of just 
you know, be a spark off the bench, kind of like I was, um, you know, with Seattle and just um, help my team hopefully win a gold medal. But there's still, I guess, that selection process to go. So we don't know what's happening next year, um, but hopefully we, you know, have a few camps leading up until the Olympics and then, yeah, hopefully I'm selected into the team. And you're obviously doing your thing, as I say, for the Melbourne Boomers in the WNBL at the moment. Uh, as you say, you're six and two. I think you've won your last three, haven't you? So uh, your third place on the ladder. How are you feeling about the team's yeah. form at the moment? Um, you know, pretty good, I think. I think, you know, we had a bit of a lull um, a few games in, and I think we, you know, didn't start games um, that well. And I think we have it, and it's been pretty evident in our last three games as well. So, you know, like I said, we have a pretty hard stint coming up with the five games in three days. So we've started, sorry, five games in eight days. Um, <laughs> yep. So not three days. Um, we started that well. So I think just, you know, when we do play as a team, when we do start games well, um, you know, it's kind of great for us to just maintain that throughout all four quarters and just sort of bring that energy. So I'm excited for the next few games ahead. And the Boomers have got a great initiative, haven't they, Izzy? You're going to show your support for Indigenous Australians with the words always was, always will be on their warm-up warm up tops this weekend. Obviously, it's a, it's a one-off sort of occasion, and you're going to wear it before your game against the Bendigo Spirit this Saturday. Um, the move's led by the players, isn't it? I think Kayla George, the superstar teammate of yours in the Commonwealth Games, an Olympic gold medalist as well, is leading the charge in that space. Yeah, she is. Um, you know, Kayla's from Cairns here and she's got, you know, great ties to the Indigenous culture and community in Cairns. So it was actually, you know, brought up by her. And I think, you know, it's great in this space where we can support and can, you know, represent the Indigenous culture because I think it's, you know, essential in, you know, not only basketball, but in um, Australia as well. So I think you know, hopefully we can do a great job of representing the Indigenous culture. And I think it's important for people, um, you know, to be able to recognise that. So we'll do that in any way we can, um, especially by wearing these shirts, you know, um, that do say always was, always will be. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited to just put on that shirt and represent um, the Indigenous culture in, you know, a great way with my teammates. Izzy, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Pleasure to talk to you. Well done on all you've achieved so far, and um, it's exciting to think about uh, your potential going forward. All the best with it. Thank you so much, Sharon. Thanks for having me. Izzy Magbador, there's so much talent, and we're just starting to see the best of that, aren't we? Gibbsy's ready, though. She's got the news. Huge news in the NBA this week, wasn't it? Uh, With the trade of Russell Westbrook. He's gone from the Houston Rockets, traded to Washington in exchange for John Wall and a first-round pick. So the swapping of two famous point guards there, isn't it? One an MVP, one a number one draft pick, and uh, they're crossing the country as we speak. And a man who's across this is a reporter from the Washington Post. I wonder if he... There's a bit of sentiment attached to this one with John Wall departing. Scott Allen, welcome to you, Scotty. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. As I allude to, this one is pretty close to your heart. I mean, Washington, well, they've traded away their once franchise player, John Wall, and a first-round pick, too, attached to that to the Rockets for Russell Westbrook. How was this received in the city of Washington, Scott? Yeah, for sure. This was uh, this was a tough one for for Wizards fans to kind of come to terms with. I think it seemed kind of inevitable that there was going to be a breakup in some way or form when there were the reports uh, that Wall wanted out of Washington. 
Um, but it, it was still kind of shocking yesterday to see um, that a deal actually got done. I mean, I think people maybe thought that that was blown out of proportion and that Wall and, and Bradley Beal would coexist for another year. But uh, the Wizards were able to to get the deal done with the Rockets. And I, I think for fans, it, it's hard to separate the, you know, from a purely basketball standpoint, it, it's it's a – it's a pretty good move for the Wizards in the future. But mm. when you think about John Wall and what he's meant to this community on and off the court for, for a whole decade as a, as a former number one pick, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to let go. We know it's a business, Scott. I just wonder if there's any yep. sliver of sentiment when it comes to this, like you just alluded to there. So he's been at the club since 2009. First pick in the draft, as I say. He has often been, John Wall, the, the lone shining light, if you will, in this team over the past decade. So is there any room for sentiment left in the NBA or it's a, a ruthless business approach and the fans know that? <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's room for it. And I think we've seen it today in kind of the outpouring of of messages to to John from you know the fan base he he sent a message on his social media you know saying that he loved every minute of his time in DC and was looking forward to the new challenge in in Houston it's just kind of the reality of i mean you said it's a business but also just the reality of all sports now with the free agency the days of of players spending their entire careers or even most of their entire careers with one team are, are gone. And, and that's kind of disappointing. I mean, you know, it, it's harder to feel quite the same attachment to, to a team when you're kind of having a revolving door of, of players every few years, but, but that's the reality. And it's especially so in the NBA, if you just look at, you know, lottery picks from five years ago, how many are still on the team that drafted them? And it's really not many. Injuries have really hurt John Wall, though, haven't they, Scott? I mean, he's had a lot of foot issues, and then the Achilles yeah. last year was a bad one. So, I mean, is there still some juice left in the legs, do you think, there? What what sort of player are the, are the Rockets getting before we talk about Westbrook coming the other way? Yeah, that's the big question. I mean, Wizards fans were excited to, to see him back on the court basically for the first time in almost two full years. I mean, the reports from Kevin Durant and, and other people who have worked out with him and, and seen him in off-season workouts say that he looks great. Um, Wall swears that he's 100%. Um, the Wizards front office seemed a little bit more cautiously optimistic about it, kind of tempering expectations, telling reporters that you know they were going to kind of have to see how Wall made it through training camp, maybe limit his minutes a bit. I mean, for an Achilles injury, is tough for, for any player to, to overcome, but with a player like Wall who you know, what made him who he was was his speed and his agility. And you figure there's no way he's going to be able to perform at the same same level he did before. By the same token, he's worked a lot on his shot. He's a slightly better, you know, outside shooter than he was when he came into the league. And, you know, even while at 90% is still a pretty quick, um, impressive point guard with the ball in his hand. So Houston's if he's if he can stay healthy and endure the the rigors of a season, Houston's getting a pretty good player. We're speaking to the Washington Post reporter Scott Allen. So Scott, who won the trade? Then do you think? <laughs> I think it's too too close, too early to call um, <laughs> at this point because because Westbrook has his own um, questions that, that come with him. He's he's been more durable than Wall. He's a couple years older, so there's no telling 
when he might break down. Um, but the biggest question with him isn't so much health um, or durability. It's, it's his fit with, with the Wizards. You know, mm-hmm. while Wall was out for the past two years, Bradley Beal really came into his own. It, it's essentially Bradley Beal's team now. And, and you just wonder how uh, a ball-dominant guard like Russell Westbrook, who at times has, you know, gotten used to carrying teams, taking over games, if he's going to be okay with that role as more of a, the second option, a distributor to, to Beal. Um, if he, if he is, I think the wizards um, are going to be, this makes them better this year. Um, unless wall comes back and is able to play at the level that he, he did before the Achilles injury, um, which seems like a long shot. I think the wizards, might have come out ahead in this trade. Yeah, because you look at it on paper. So Westbrook, Beal, Davis, Batans, Bryant, and I'm probably leaving a couple out. That, that's a that's a pretty fasty team uh-huh. that, that could do some damage in the East. Yeah. I, I mean, even before the trade, the Wizards are really excited about um, the young guys. Rui Hachimura had a, had a solid rookie year. They're really excited to see what he can do this year. Um, they've, they've kind of been building this team around Bradley Beal, kind of not knowing, you know, when or or what level of ability John Wall would, would have when, when he did come back. Um, and then if you're able to throw a guy like Russell Westbrook in there and he's able to mesh, that, that's a that's a pretty good, um, well-balanced team for, for today's NBA. Um, so, yeah, a lot of excitement here um, for, for a team that, you know, as, as much as people love John Wall, not all his fault because he didn't have a great supporting cast, but you know, this team hasn't been even to the conference finals in 40 years. Um, so it's kind of a low bar for excitement, but uh, people are, <laughs> are happy to, to see what, what Russ is able to do in DC. Yeah. And, and Scott, just with Russell Westbrook coming across, what does that mean for James Harden, if anything at all with him wanting to get out of the Rockets as well? Yeah, I think the Wizards hope that it means that he stays in Houston rather than coming to the coming to the Nets or, or somewhere else in the East because it's already going to be a, a huge challenge to 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 compete in in this conference. Um, I still did see some reports that Harden uh, wanted to play with Wall, so maybe this will, you know, maybe he'll be happy with the trade. Um, Wall, another aspect of it is that Wall gets reunited with his former Kentucky friend, one of his best friend in the NBA, Boogie Cousins. Um, so that's a that's a pretty good big three in Houston, and it'll be interesting to see if Harden does stay put uh, for this season. Now, the season, it's a tight turnaround, isn't it, between seasons, uh, Scott? The NBA season, the new one, is due <laughs> to start on December 22nd. I mean, how are preparations going for that and, and what it might look like? Yeah, no, I think everything is is on schedule. It does seem like just you know a few weeks ago that that we were crowning the the Lakers the champs of this weird mm-hmm. you know coronavirus bubble bubble season. Um, but uh, no, preparations are underway. The Wizards have have gotten underway at training camp. I think the big issue um, it's looking like obviously they're not doing the bubble. Um, for the regular season, at least this year, but uh, it, the 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 question, I mean, from team to team, city to city, is whether there are going to be any fans in the stands. So it'll be a, a different experience. But by this point, you know, playing that season in the bubble in Orlando, the players are kind of used to 
this this kind of new reality at least until things maybe start to return to normal. You mentioned the Lakers. Can they be beaten, Scott? Anthony Davis, LeBron James, both pen contracts uh, during the week. And it doesn't appear anyway as though any other teams have got significantly better in the free agency period either. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think in the West, the, the Lakers are, are certainly the team to beat. And, you know, in yeah, in the whole league, I, I think that they've got to be the favorites to to win yet again. Um, you know, maybe not just this year, but, but next year too, we'll see Mm -hmm. how much LeBron James can, how much longer he can keep this up. Um, yeah, I think they've got to be the favorites over in the East. You know, you can never count out Milwaukee kind of a disappointing exit in the the playoffs this past year, but, but they should be, you know, reloaded and stacked again. And then I'm really excited to see what, what the nets look like. You know, we talked about about Harden, and you know it doesn't look like he'll go there. But you know, with Kyrie and KD and some of the other complementary pieces they have, that's going to be a, a really improved team and an interesting team to watch. Yeah, and the Lakers adding, I think Schroeder, Wes Matthews, and Marcus Gasol as well um, yep. with their own dealing. So, oh gee, the trade in the free agency window in the NBA is such compelling viewing, Scott. And this was a big one this week that was uh, close to your heart. So we'd loved having you on, obviously. That once franchise player, John Wall, traded the Houston Rockets in exchange for Russell Westbrook and a first-round pick uh, heading to the Rockets as well. Thanks so much for joining us, Scotty. Anytime, Sam. Thanks a lot. Well, I wanted to play this before we left you this morning. Rep Bartlett is the Richmond Football Club historian, of course, and the son of the great Kevin Bartlett. And uh, last night he made a pretty significant discovery. It's... The voice of the late and great Tom Hafey all the way back in 1979, if you don't mind, when he was coaching Collingwood, of course. Round 5, 1979, Collingwood against Footscray. Jeez, he was inspirational. One of the most inspirational figures in football right to the very end, Tom Hafey. But this was him all those years ago at halftime against Footscray and his pies are leading well, by three points, but he's not overly happy with the way the first half has gone. I wanted to bring this to you. It's in pretty good condition, the audio quality here as well. So it's Tom Afey, half time, thanks to Rhett Bartlett, round five, 1979, Waverley Park. But it's going to be a tough, hard battle. You've now got to come out and we've got to get a general lift, a real lift from Peter for a start. And this is what makes bloody men fair dinkum. Everybody can't have a free run in all the time, can they? It'd be beautiful if we could go out the way we go. But sometimes we are down. And that goes about in your work, in your life, your married life, anything. But now it comes about you're down in your football. You have got to start and climb up off the bloody floor. And that's what we're wanting from you, Pete. And naturally enough, a lot of other players. Renee, Raymond, Billy. The experience in our side has now got to come out and show a little bit more. Because, fellas, we can't afford to just go along. We can't say, well, Peter Max off and Kevin Morris is off. That's fair enough. We have got to learn to fight back when things aren't going so well. And this is, as I say, as a makers of a bloody good side. So we've got to take the chance. We have really got to now take a chance. Every time anybody plays the ball, go for it with confidence and other players be ready to run past them. And run as if you mean to. Look, fellas, I don't mind you getting outclassed and outplayed and beaten with better ability, but it really sickens me to see some of the weak efforts put in where you jog along and then you realise maybe, geez, I could have got there after he fumbles. And then you start putting pressure on. 
That's not good enough. We have got to be putting them under the hammer from the time we get out. While the ball's in your area, whether it be the wing or the centre or wherever, you've got to fight like mad. And that goes right around the ground. That we've got to contest a lot more fiercely. And really mean it. Fellas, we've got to liven up our whole game. We take the bloody chance. We go for it from the centre bounce and you fight like mad. And make certain that you get in that front spot. And if you miss the damn thing, come back just as hard. Be proud of yourself. Give it out. Run like mad. Both sides. And then follow him up so he gets a decent sort of a kick. Now, a big lift, fellas. Everybody charge out. How good was that? The voice of the late Tommy Hafey, 1979, thanks to Rhett Bartland, the Richmond historian. You can catch that. He's also got the pre-match speech as well, which I haven't listened to, but I assume is of similar excellent quality given its age. Uh, Vyrie's Twitter page, retrospective, of course. Now, let the history book show that Colin went from three points up at halftime and after that spiel, they went on to win by 48 13 goals to six after half time. Ray Shaw, 28 touches uh, as well. And Craig Davis kicking four goals for the Pies to get it done. I mean, what more can you say about Tommy Afey? Four-time VFL Premiership player, of course. Richmond Team of the Century. Richmond Hall of Fame. Immortal status. Australian Football Hall of Fame. An inaugural inductee for good measure. Richmond Life member. AFL Life member. Sadly, passing away at the age of 82 in May 2014, he was a ripper, wasn't he, Tom Afey? I love those old um, those old speeches. And uh, as I say, he's got his pre-match spiel there as well. And uh, I'd be fascinated to speak to Red, actually, about how he made that discovery. What is it now? 41 years on. Um, off the text, absolutely brilliant. He named some things uh, from my players, Moore, Pickin and Kink. Uh, it is quality, isn't it? I can't wait to listen to the pregame as well. Do that after this show. We've had a lot of fun this morning. We've been talking about draft bargains and bargains more broadly speaking as well. Ben from Bulleen texted in not too long ago and said, six years ago, my son was playing Minecraft and said, Dad, you should get some of these internet coins. I told him it's probably a scam. It was Bitcoin. It was worth about $1 each at the time. Huge mistake. Now Bitcoin is worth 26000 Could have been a multi-millionaire. Good on you, Ben. And we've been speaking uh, a lot about the sledging you might be copying with the cricket season back underway as well. Or perhaps something a bit different like Cameron Green has experienced when he faced up to the Indians for the first time in the ODI in Canberra there. And the niceties from KL Rowell that was probably designed similarly to unsettling, but just taking a different tact. Been a pleasure to fill in for Kane Corns here on a Friday. He is back though, the Volcano. And ready to go this time next week for the captain's run after his well-deserved period of rest and relaxation. Dwayne Russell, though, he plays on. He's up next on Dwayne's World. He'll have a big show in store for you to see you through to the weekend. As I said throughout today, hope you've had a good week. Hope you have a fun weekend lined up as well and you're keeping safe and well. It's all happening, though, here at the Sports Entertainment Network, SEN, so don't go anywhere. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.